The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If ready PG, parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. What's up? Welcome back to Barton and Bud. It is game week game weekend a uh, little appetizer this weekend we got a couple couple lower level games kicking off we've are, we already got a couple behind us as we sit here recording on on friday midday uh but buzz we're, we're gonna talk a little bit about we're gonna talk georgia we're gonna talk big 12 we're gonna talk the games we've seen uh and just get you know get back into the nuts and bolts of football uh and and you kind of get get our uh our juice is going a little bit. Get get kind of ready, a little appetizer for us, so we're ready for the game week preview next week, which is a f- kind of a more of a full slate. So um, excited, man! How's it going, dude? Doing well, doing well. Uh, my, my son got to see the garbage truck today, so that was that was pretty Good awesome. He, man, he is all about that. That's uh, that's, that's excitement and quarantine for us. He's he's fourteen months old, so you know that's that's a pretty that's big time. That's big and they honk they honk down the street and on the way back, so. I mean, you, you get a double honk on a Friday. That's, that's starting the weekend right, buddy. Heck yeah. I'm still excited about the garbage truck. <laughs> I obsess over our garbage. It's like I, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly like, like, like obsessing over like, is our garbage going to like overflow? Do we need to go double, double? Like, can we stick to one canister this week? So yeah, I'm, I'm right there with them. Now, do you all recycle? Yeah, we got, that's the, that's actually a pain. If our, if our recycling bin is like two like overflows, like they'll just like pass it by. So then you got like cardboard stacked up for for weeks because they only come once a month. So, so all, Maggie, I, is, I have all kinds of I have all kinds of like garbage idiosyncrasies. Uh, ditto. My wife runs the the recycling program in our house uh, because I'm pretty sure our county just ships it to India anyway and doesn't actually recycle it. So it's I'm like all right, whatever. But I do have a rule: if if she forgets to actually put the recycling out. Uh, or if I forget to do it for her, then the bin's going to totally overflow for the next week. And so I just dump it into the trash bin and we, and we start over. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, Hey, there's, there's a lot of checks and balances, you know, <laughs> a lot of navigating you got to do for this stuff. So we, but no one wants to hear our garbage talk. <laughs> no, no, let, let's, let's get to our garbage football takes here. I uh, guess we got to talk football. <laughs> so, uh, Pretty shortly after we were, we last recorded, uh, we, we thank you all for all the listens on the latest episode. Looks like people are really ready for football. Um, we had Jamie Newman decide to opt out from Georgia. I was actually on the phone with Dogs Twenty Dog two, Dogs Twenty Four Seven Rusty Manzel, and we were talking about Georgia's defense for something I, I, I'm going to write up. 
And he's like, hey, uh, I got to take this call. It might be important. And then like 30 minutes later on their message board, hey, guys, we're hearing uh, Jamie Newman, Newman is going to opt out. So, okay. Georgia Impact, who wins? How worried are you? Take this wherever you want to go. Okay. Uh, well, I'm worried. This is not good because I don't care whether Jamie Newman was going to win the job or not. You know, even if you're going to spin this as JT Daniels is better, and JT Daniels is looking better, and Jamie Newman saw the writing on the wall, and Jamie Newman said, "Look, wherever my draft stock is now, if I lose this job midseason, or if I lose this job week one, or whatever it is, uh, it's going to be lower." So. Might as well cut my losses like that. If, if you're going to take that approach, fine. But they're one less quarterback into this season. And in a season where you're going to need probably multiple quarterbacks from just from a COVID perspective as a safety net, that, you know, that that would be nice. But also just from a standard season, like we've seen it year in, year out, where quarterback depth can can be the difference between you being a national title contender or not. Um, and so, yes, I think just purely based on the depth of the position, it it, it hurts. Um, and I, I think it's a I think it's fascinating. I, I I would love to know what really went into that decision for Jamie Newman because he was a fourth to sixth rounder, I believe, like projected after last season. Um, maybe fifth to seventh, and he goes to Georgia, and Todd Monken's coming, and everyone's creating this. Um, there's a lot of expectation. There's a lot of sort of um, there's the perception there that this is going to be a nice marriage, and he's going to have a lot of Georgia talent around him, and who knows what he becomes and what his draft stock turns into. But as we sit here today fourth, sixth, fifth, seventh, whatever he was at Wake Forest, like he ain't any higher. So it's just, uh, it strikes me as an interesting decision um, and could be telling. Yeah. Was it truly COVID related? Did he see the writing on the wall that maybe Daniels was, you know, playing better in, in, in the reps that he got to take in their latest scrimmage, even though Daniels is not cleared for contact yet, he has been participating in the scrimmage and Kirby Smart, uh, uh, I believe has said that, or, or maybe it was reported so far that they do expect him to be cleared by the opening game uh, in JC Daniels. But man, I, this makes me a little bit less confident that Georgia is going to have really good quarterback play because prior, when you had both guys competing, I was pretty damn confident that the guy who won, assuming Daniels is healthy, right. you know, that like, okay, you had to beat out somebody who was at least going to get drafted because I think both these guys will, will end up being drafted. Now, like I don't know who Daniels is having to beat out. Maybe Dewan Mathis is looking looking well for for Georgia in practice, uh, but still, like Dewan Mathis is is not Jamie Newman. Um, so this makes me a little bit more concerned. And to your point, I think which was great the the depth, right? Like we're we're in a COVID season here. This is weird. And like what happens if you if your quarterback goes down now? Prior, I think Georgia had one of the absolute best quarterback situations in the country with two guys who are you know talented and at least somewhat proven. Now the, the drop-off is pretty substantial. It was it's similar to when Anthony Brown, the Boston College quarterback, transferred to um, Oregon. And Anthony, like anyone that watches a lot of ACC football, isn't like enamored with Anthony Brown. But 
he's started football games and he, you know, he's a guy that like Quincy Avery is a quarterback trainer who trains a bunch of these guys. He, he had high uh, opinion of them. I talked to, to multiple opposing coaches that have played him and, and their returns were pretty good on, on just sort of what opposing coaches think of him as a player. He goes to Oregon. Tyler Shuck is the quarterback that has, has no experience, but he's the expected starter. And whether Anthony Brown is going to be their quarterback or not, his presence there makes you more competent in the position because, like you said, like it just then you know whoever wins the job just won a competition. Um, and so you're right. Like now, now we're I mean, it's probably going to be JT Daniels, but it's it's unopposed in in, in whatever um, you know it's an, it's an unopposed you know win there as a starting quarterback. You would assume. Um, so yes, and I, and and I know. So so here's the deal. All right. So where this leaves us now with Georgia is suddenly I feel like this this um, exposes some of the optimism in the offseason as maybe more wishful than anything else on the offensive side of the ball. Because think about like what we've been projecting. All right. And I've been I'm, I'm someone that thinks Georgia is or was I, I, I guess I still think they are probably we'll, we'll talk about that. But they're they're a national playoff title contender. So they're losing two first round draft picks on offensive tackle. They're losing another future early round draft pick at either offensive tackle or offensive guard in Cade Mays. Uh, they are Dominic Blaylock is hurt, who was probably their second best receiver after George Pickens. Uh, they they lose their starting running back. Zamir White returns talented certainly, but still. Uh, a guy that is unproven. Um, and then they've got this, this offense that just has been very average from a, you know, considering their, their status um, as title contenders. Uh, and now you're getting a new coordinator coming in, which was supposed to be this huge, like, oh, he's doing the, they're pulling the LSU thing. They're pulling the Ed Ogeron, Joe Brady thing. Get the NFL guy, open it up. Here we go. But that's that's a leap of faith too. That we're all just assuming that this is going to things are going to open up, and they didn't have a spring practice really of, of note to to deal with it. So I think now we're we're at the point where it's not that Jamie Newman totally changes the picture. I just think he changes the perspective a little bit. Like you look at it a little bit different, and you're like, okay, um, what what's what what is our reason for optimism at this point with the Georgia offense? Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's just my own personal, um, uh, like, per, like all, like shifting perspective. Uh, I know how high you are on Georgia's defense. I agree with you. Um, that defense is going to be unbelievable, but I think they're probably going to have to be uh, to to get where Georgia wants to go. I agree with you. Um, it just reduces their margin of error, right? Like, like that. Now, now Daniels has to stay healthy if they're going to get to where. They want to go now. That defense has to be as good as we think it's going to be. So let let me throw it to you, and then and we'll come back to Georgia's defense. Are you changing your pick in the East? Does, does, does this give you enough confidence that uh, that you're going to move Florida up? I'm not, though. I, I mean, it's and, and again, this this to to reiterate, this is not about some sort of Jamie Newman confidence, and they're just naked without Jamie Newman to to save them. It, it's more about just sort of. Um, 
the the depth and just sort of it's almost like a it's almost like a perspective thing for me a little bit. So so no, I'm not changing my pick. I still think Georgia is is going to be the best team in the East, but this um, I think this alters things a little bit for me in terms of the way I view Georgia, and I think it this this tightens tightens the margins to use your phrase um, with Florida and. I, I mean, there's there's no doubt in my mind Florida is capable of winning the East, and so this this is going to make it a little bit more interesting. You know, I I really I thought about it last night a little bit. I was like, we, yeah. we had to turn in our picks, and I said, okay, well LSU just lost a ton. Uh, Florida gets LSU in in the cross division. Georgia has to go play Bama, so Georgia's going to be a dog to Bama, and I think there's a decent chance Florida is actually favored at LSU this year because I mean I don't know about you, but I'm going to give about one point for home field advantage this year. So and that's basically just to, to account for travel. I, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any real quantifiable edge to playing in front of twenty thousand people. Like they're not making enough noise to affect uh, the you know the snap count and that kind of stuff. Although maybe it'll help you get juiced up a little bit. Um, but I keep going back to the numbers that Brandon Marcello dug up this summer. You can find the column on on twenty four seven sportscom If Florida's going to win the East, they have got to find a way to score on a Kirby Smart defense. And yes, I'm aware some of these numbers are related to the fact that you know Dan Mullen was at Mississippi State and Kirby was at Bama, and so the talent differential there was pretty great. But in his career, and it's a pretty large sample set, and you do have to consider the factors, as I just said, Kirby Smart's defense just absolutely owns Dan Mullen's offense. Like, they don't do anything. Like, if they score 20 points, it's a freaking miracle. And if Georgia doesn't have to score 30 points to win a game, I feel pretty damn good about Georgia still, but I think the margin has has become tighter uh, due to the the Newman loss and due to the LSU uh, losses and, and who Florida gets to play from the West because Bama looks like they're just you know chugging along and that's that's not going to be an easy game for UGA in uh, whatever week we're playing that now week two week three whatever it is so I, no I'm, I'm with you I'm not changing but it it made me think I think that's going to be a really close race. So where are you with the um, this Georgia defense? Are are you um, where where are you? What's your expectation for this Georgia defense relative to a typical Georgia defense relative to last year's Georgia defense? So I already had the number <clears throat> number one in the country last year, kind of tied with Ohio State. Like to me, those were, those were the two best defenses in the country. I thought Clemson was good and creative, you know. But like personnel wise, I don't think Clemson last year is what they were uh, the year that they beat Bama uh, for the Natty the, the second time. I I think Georgia's defense, like I think the gap between Georgia and the second best defense in the country, might be as big as the gap between like number two and number ten. Like, dude, I've been looking at this. I think we can agree they're the most talented defense in the country. Um, Pretty much bar none, especially because Ohio State's not playing, and OSU lost a lot of guys to the draft. So they're going to overwhelm you with talent. They have excellent defensive coaching. Kirby Smart has been sort of the premier defensive coordinator, head coach in college football, along with Saban and, of course, uh, Venables at at, uh, at at Clemson. If you want to go just pure TCs, I think you have at every single position the the, the status is basically guy with multi years of experience for an elite Georgia defense or that guy in a position battle with a super talented redshirt sophomore who is actually having a good enough camp to maybe beat him out. 
right? Like I was talking to Rusty on the phone the other day, and I'm like, where's the weakness of this defense? And he said, man, I, I don't know that there is one. He, he said, look, if, you know, if, if Jordan at nose guard, if, if he goes down, I think there is a drop off to the, as far as the ability to get a pass rush on the interior from your nose guard position. If, if, if you lose your starter, which is kind of a, like a rich person's concern, it's very here. specific issue. <laughs> yeah. He said, and I don't know that they have a, a dominant slot to face, to face up Jalen Waddle in man-to-man coverage. And I said, well, welcome to the other 129 teams in college football. Cause basically nobody can cover him, you know, one-on-one in the slot. Tyson Campbell is stepping up and having a great camp and I think is going to become a really elite SEC level corner this year opposite of Eric Stokes who they already had. They 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 actually like Webb in the secondary quite a bit. Rusty even thinks that they're going to upgrade from J.R. Reed to Lewis Seen. Like apparently Lewis is taking that step and and it, if that happens man cuz you already have uh uh, what's his name? The kind of undersized guy. Uh, LeCount. Uh, LeCount, right. Which I feel like almost every elite college defense that wins a natty, they always have this kind of safety who may, who might not run you know, 4-4 at the combine, but somehow he, he runs 4-6. He's always around the ball, and, and he comes down with, with seven or eight picks. They, they have incredible versatility along this defense. You've got your big pass rushers uh, like, like Javon Walker. You have your, your speed rushers. Like a Nolan Smith, you're. We haven't even talked about the the backers they have on this team. I mean, dude, it's it's Dean Monty Rice, like Aziz Ojolari yeah. is, is seems to be busting out as well. Jermaine Johnson, one of the top JUCO recruits in the country, a couple years ago. Shaney Tyndall, who's a former five star that's like running the threes. Like, here's a name we haven't mentioned yet: Malik Herring, who is probably not going to be a first round pick but it's a really damn good college football player and somebody who, given all Georgia's talent, you can't double. Like, you're not going to double Malik Herring. And he's a senior with a ton of experience who's going to get drafted, just probably not in the first round, who's going to feast on one-on-one blocking. I mean, the, I, I think the the versatility this defense has, the overall talent level, the experience level, the coaching, the ability to play matchups with, with basically anything you throw at it, I, I think this has a chance to be the best defense Kirby Smart has ever coached, including those Bama defenses. Oh, you're throwing the Bama defenses in I'm, there. I'm going to throw the Bama defenses in there. Yeah. like There I, you go. Now, now this that's This might be – Now yeah. we got to take. We got to take. That, that's going to be a That's going to be a video, I'm sure, and I'm going to get roasted for this. But I, I think they're that level, man. No, I, I think it's fair. And, and especially I think the, the, the key factor this year is like you can – there's great defenses where you can – and you touched on it. There's great defenses where you can – you know, go one through 11 and then, you know, oh, that, that's a dude, that's a dude. He'll play in the NFL. That guy, that's a guy. Uh, but particularly in this year where depth is going to be probably really critical. Um, the depth is really what impresses me more than anything about this Georgia team defensively is that, I mean, you could literally trot out their number 23 through 44. Um, that's not the right number 23 through 34. Um, and, and say like well, that's that's an SEC elite defense right there, like the backups. And so, I think um, I'm with you. Um, I, I think that this is a team that is, and, and that's why, like you, when you asked, you know, do I saw I'm winning the East? I do because I just think that that's a unit that is that's a unit I can trust about as much or more than any unit in college football, um, offensively or defensively. 
And so I'm going to, I'm going to go with what I know a little bit this season, um, given everything else is going on. And I think talent is going to be so critical this year. Uh, and so I think when you got blue chip talent, when you, when you got like a, a unit, you can trust like that. I think that that's, that's going to give that offense a chance in, in a lot of ways to, to get warmed up and, and figure this thing out. Let's play a quick game here. I'm going to say a team, I'm going to say a, a game they play. You're going to tell me how many points Georgia needs to win that game for you to feel confident they win that game. Oh, okay. Arkansas. Right. Uh, uh, nine. I, I would, I'll, I'll go seven. I, I, okay. I don't think Arkansas scores. Yeah. I mean, they could get like a, yes, you mean probably right. Yeah. Auburn. Uh, it's, it's in Georgia. 14. Yeah, I think if Georgia scores 14, they win that game. Uh, Tennessee, again, in Georgia. Uh, I would say, yeah, about the same, 14. Yeah. So right now, basically through three games, we have them allowing uh, about a combined 30 points uh, through the three <laughs> SEC games. All right, Bama at Bama. Uh. I think you're going to need 24 points in that one. Yeah. I think Bama could get – I think they get three tugs out of this thing. I think so, too. If, like, if you tell me Georgia scores 27 in, in Tuscaloosa, I feel I feel pretty good about Georgia there. But yeah. I don't know if they can get to 27. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, – yeah, that's going to be the, that's going to be the key there. Um, yeah, if Bama – like if you're uh, – conversely, if you're going to tell me that Bama has put up 28 – on Georgia, I'm going to say Bama won the game. Yeah. Right. 100%. Kentucky. It's in Lexington. Uh, I, uh, that's, a t- that's a tough one. I think, I still think they're sort of in that, I think they're still in that Tennessee Auburn range of, you know, 14 points, a couple touchdowns. That might be, you know, I can see uh, it, it would be, it would be a weird, uh, very resourceful, like 20 points if Kentucky got to 20. I agree with that. Uh, Florida. Well, I mean, shoot. 20. The answer is yeah. 20. Like, because Dan Mullen doesn't score 20 against them. So it's, it's, I think it's 20. Yeah. I think, I think if Dan Mullen, if Dan Mullen, fi- like if, if, if Florida has, if the final score there is Florida 24, Georgia blank. Um, I would feel like Florida has a pretty good shot at winning that. I agree. Um, yeah. We'll go ahead and skip Missouri. Uh, we can probably skip Mississippi State in in Athens because uh, I don't think Mississippi State's defense is going to stop anybody, especially, by the way, for all you uh, people out there. The two Mississippi State transfers that uh, went to Florida State are going to get major playing time this year. So my guess is that those are a little bit bigger losses than maybe we realized at the time. Uh South Carolina, Vandy. All right, so we're, we're done. We're done with that game. But I think the key there is, I mean, Georgia could pretty easily go nine and one, scoring like twenty eight points a game if they do it. Yeah, I think that's. All right, you want to take a quick break here, and then on, on the flip side, we will talk a little, a uh, little Big Twelve. Yeah, man, let's do it. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. 
Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. All right, so we're back on the Barton and Bud Show. We really appreciate all those five-star reviews you've been giving us. You can drop some questions for the listener mailbag segment in those five-star reviews, and we have a couple of old, old ones we'll get to as well. Uh, but today we want to talk a little little Big 12. Big 12 kicks off in about a week from now. And uh, Barton, I, I had some questions for you about the Big 12. Obviously, Oklahoma has won this league about a billion years in a row. It uh, seems like every quarterback Lincoln Riley gets uh, wins the Heisman, and no matter how bad OU's defense is, they just – like, okay, we got to score 60 today, and they go out and they get 60. Uh, but I'm kind of wondering, like, will this will this league look the same this year? And and I, I have some key questions. So I want to know, like, how good is the middle class in this league? Who are the teams that you think actually have a realistic shot to win the league? Uh, in your mind, is is OU the, the odds-on favorite? Like, would you take them versus the field? Uh, and do you think the champ will, will be able to get out uh, undefeated or with just one loss? I don't think that anyone in this conference is good enough to go undefeated. I think that that is, I think the middle class in this conference relative to the top is, is pretty competitive. And I think it's pretty deep. I don't think, um, you know, you can get nine deep in this conference and, and sort of envision anyone within the nine beating anyone above them. Um, I, I also, not, I'm not necessarily of the belief that when you compare this conference, uh, you know, four through nine to uh, any other conferences, four through nine, that they would stack up that well. Um, but within the Big 12, within the context of the Big 12, again, I think they're all really competitive. Um, I'm actually, like, I'm, I'm actually really intrigued by a lot of these teams like the the, the big 12 is always they kind of always are like it's an interesting conference to me um and and the thing with the like the middle class again it, it extends almost to the to the bottom of the conference you are you are not a believer in kansas being much of anything is that is that fair to say yeah no i i am out on on kansas uh i think they are going to be I think Kansas is the bottom 10 team in college football this year among the teams that are playing. Like, I think they're going to finish. Like, we got 70. Like, like, like even group of five? Yeah. I, I, I don't think Kansas is So, good, you man. didn't. I, so, you weren't. I, I you wasn't were buying not, in on their improvement last year. You, I think Coastal <laughs> might beat them next week. What, so, what's the, what's the basis of your Kansas uh, venom? I just think their defense is is really, really bad. Last year, they, they did end up getting three wins. Uh, they beat Indiana State by one touchdown. All right. They beat Boston College 48-24. That was sort of the game that let us know that BC might be on track to have the worst defense in the history of the ACC, and they damn near got there. And then they beat Texas Tech by, by a field goal. Like Other than that, for the most part, their games were, were not competitive. And that was that league last year at the bottom – 
West Virginia, that was the worst West Virginia team we've seen in a while. That was probably the worst Texas they Tech almost team. Beat, they almost beat Texas. That's true. Don't forget, they almost beat Texas. That's true. <laughs> like they, they, they almost like should have beat Texas. I'm just not in on on. I don't think Kansas can throw the throw the ball well enough to to compete and, and get wins in the league. Their defense right, so, last year was terrible. So, so let's start there. They can run with, a little with bit. my little. I got a little like just sort of um, kind of observations that I've that I've got on a few of these teams, and I think one of them for Kansas is, and I I don't necessarily disagree with your point that they you don't you don't feel confident they can throw the ball well. Because I'm not confident in their quarterback position, um, though you know. But Miles Kendrick, I would assume, is going to win that job, and and I, and he's he's got a chance to be decent and serviceable, I think. Um, but I do think that they have a good wide receiver group. Um, I mean, Andrew Parchment is, I think, a legitimately good wide receiver. You know, they 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 return other than Dalen Charlotte. I mean, they returned just about all of them. Um, they got a kid coming in. Uh, what's the dude's name? Uh, Lawrence Arnold, um, who's right. a, who's a freshman coming in. That's uh, supposedly the real deal. And so, I, when you when you add what is, I think, a very competent wide receiver group, if not good wide receiver group, to Puka Williams in the backfield. If you get some decent quarterback play, you know the the, the offense last year with Brent Deerman as their offensive coordinator. When he was he can't, went from quality control to OC like mid year, and there was some real improvements. Um, it might have even happened in the BC game. I think it did. I think Indiana State, yep. Coastal Carolina, and then they pulled the plug and said this isn't working. So they went Brent Deerman the rest of the way, and that's when they broke out against BC. Um, I mean, there was. The, the offense had had its moments last year. So I am just – maybe it's the preseason optimist in me, but I am just I, – I think they're probably still going to be 10th in the league, but I think that they could win a game or two. Like, I really do. I – You don't. <laughs> you don't. No, I, I, I can see them win one. I, I'm not going to say that they're for sure going winless. I think two in, – in, and look, it's crazy to do, to me. It's kind of crazy to do some of these predictions because, like, who knows that they could get Texas Tech and Texas Tech's like, what the Big Twelve thing is? You have to have fifty three guys ready to play, and, and Texas Tech's like, oh, we got fifty four this week. I guess we got to play, and, and they maybe they house Texas Tech or something. But I, I, I do think that like if everybody stays healthy and, and doesn't get without COVID, I think two is is hard to get to because I, I do think among the Power Five leagues playing. Kansas has the worst defense probably by a lot. Like who do you like who else do you think has a really bad defense in the P5? Uh I think that I think I mean Ole Miss is not going to have a great defense. I think, I think it's Vanderbilt fair. is just I don't think it's going to be great this year even though they return a lot on defense. I just worry about that defense with an SEC full SEC slate. To, to, to wrestle with and a terrible offense like they're going to be on the field all the time exactly yeah um you know i, I mean what, what else we got in the big 12 like there's i mean i guess texas tech still needs to improve defensively and they were still a lot better than than kansas was like th th this yeah. is my problem it's just yeah like in watching kansas last year kansas has no speed on defense and so they have to play so conservative they they, they play this shell stuff and basically everybody in the big 12 they played for the most part was able to just pick them apart on the short stuff. And if you looked at some of the advanced stats, it kind of bore that out, right? So they were 24th in explosiveness prevention. 
right? They were 128th in efficiency allowed. So they just sat back in a shell and tried to die a slow death and and hope that, you know, like get a tip ball for a pick or something like that off off a receiver's hand. But they were not they were not contesting anything. You know, it it was like they just they didn't allow explosive plays. Other than that, they like you could you could kind of get whatever you want as long as you were had some modicum of patience against Kansas. All right. So we will we will exclude Kansas from being in the the Big 12 middle class. I agree. Is there anyone else that is not good enough to make middle class status for you in the Big 12? I no, I I think everybody else, everybody else is, is middle class or pretty better. much middle class. Yeah, I I mean Texas Tech is I don't think you're going to be good, but I, I do think the drop off from them to Kansas is is pretty significant. Um, so you think Texas Tech is the is the ninth ninth team in the league? I kind of have the like them and West Virginia bunched together. You kind of have to put Kansas State there, but I'm actually a little bit bullish on Kansas State. I, I trust Kleiman. I think those guys will do well. I know they did lose all their offensive linemen, which is a major problem. Um, you know, that's you know what I'm kind of excited about with Kansas State. They've got um so you 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 think of Kansas State, or at least I do, as this sort of bullying uh, offensive line, um, you know, grinder at the at the running back position, uh, quarterback that can maybe get you some some yards with his legs, whatever. Uh, they've got, and they'll be they'll be senior laden or upperclassmen laden at running back with some guys with experience. I think they'll it'll be kind of a committee approach. But I'm I'm interested and anxious to see what they do with a couple of these these newcomers because apparently Deuce Vaughn has been really good so far in camp and he's like five foot six. Uh, they've got another kid named Keon Mosey out of Missouri who's five foot seven. And both of those guys are just electric. And so I'm just, I'm kind of curious like what happens with Kansas state and a Chris Kleiman offense and how they maybe seek to utilize a few of these like sort of toy type of uh, talents that are that are more of like this this space almost gadget players. Um, I mean, hell, Kansas State's done pretty good with one of those guys and Darren Spr- Darren Sproles. I, I think I don't know whether it's going to be this year or not because I don't. I think Deuce Vaughn will find his way on the field in some, in some capacity. But you know what's what's the future look like? Because they seem to be very open to just recruiting athletes, whatever they look like, whatever their size is, and. Uh, um, so I, I think this will be an interesting Kansas state team offensively, um, given all the turnover they have on the offensive line, uh, and you know, the stability they have at quarterback, you know, what do they do to get some, some more plays in maybe some more non-traditional ways. So I, I think they could be kind of a fun team to watch offensively. And Barton, I think that's a great point that last year they, they ran the ball a ton, like, like not, they didn't run it. They didn't run it well, but they were committed to doing it. Like they were going to do it each and every week. They, they were not one of these teams going to reevaluate what they were doing week to week, but it worked for them uh, because, because they didn't turn the ball over uh, too much. You know, they, they, they did a decent job and they were extremely efficient off play action. The issue was, to your point, they didn't, they were not able to hit the explosive plays off play action. Like they, they could scheme a guy wide open for 15, you know, off, off a boot. They didn't get that, that big over route for 50 or 60 often enough, like you kind of need to have in that league if you want to take yet another step. So I think an infusion of speed in that offense really would help them. Uh, and their style is unique within that league. They play 
I mean, they're bottom 10 in the nation in tempo. They, they do not hurry at all. They, they huddle. They, they you know, use multiple tight ends. They use a fullback. It's just different than what you see from a lot of teams in the Big 12. Um, and I'm not trying to characterize the Big 12 as one of these, like, you know, only air raid type leagues, but it, it's probably the closest to that among the, the Power 5 leagues who we have left playing. Um, I'm kind of high on, on Kansas State, but I'm not really ready to put them in that contender tier quite yet. Yeah. Um, the, the other one that, that I think is really interesting, um, and I've, I think in most, in most of my sort of prognostications, I've been a little bit lower on, on Baylor than, uh, than some other teams in the Big 12. But I do think the more this, this team has come together in the offseason through the transfer market in a way that might make them better than, than people are giving them credit for. Given all it lost last year, the way the season went, winning a lot of close games, winning the turnover margin, like indication that maybe this is a cycle down. But I, I, the, the, the buzz coming out of, of Baylor is that the William Bradley King kid that came from Arkansas State, the grad transfer, is the DN. That's a le- yep, the, the edge guy. That's like a legit addition. Um, Dylan Doyle came from Iowa. He's the strength coach's son. He transferred over after that all that offseason mess that happened at Iowa. He's he's like apparently like a stud, like a like all the way legit guy that's gonna be uh, a starter and a big time player for them. They're still very talented in the secondary. They're getting a tra- grad transfer from UCLA and Jake Burton is probably their their starter at offensive tackle, which sort of solidifies that unit. And I just think if you really look at the just the personnel, Charlie Brewer, he I mean, as long as he stays healthy, like you you can trust Charlie Brewer at quarterback. They've got two good running backs with Ta- Taekwon Thornton and RJ Snead. They, they've got a talent at wide receiver. Like that's a pretty good wide receiver group. Offensive line gets gets the the missing piece in Jake Burton, assuming he's he's good to go and 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 will be able to to pick things up quickly. And then defensively, it's it's Dave Aranda. He play, he coached good D. I mean, I know this is all new coach stuff that everyone's got to got to got to deal with, but I don't know. Like the the closer we get to the season, the more I wonder if I'm underestimating Baylor, not necessarily as some sort of dark horse, you know, conference champion, but just as a team that's going to be right there at the top of the middle class, so to speak, um, potentially, you know, maybe the third or fourth best team in the league. Um, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I think it's it's uh, they're becoming a very interesting team to me. That that, that is really interesting. Um, so Baylor's over under in Vegas right now, uh, six wins with some juice on the under, but not a ton of juice. So six wins for them. I I have a hard time seeing seven and three. I actually think if they hit the six, that's a pretty nice season for them this year, considering what they lost and and, and the late. I agree. Changeover in the coaching. Um, but I I have this weird confidence that they are not going to just totally fall off a cliff. Like, I don't think they're going to miss this over under by two games and, and go four and six. And I didn't even love that Bader team last year. I thought they were a good team, well-coached team, Brewer, good leadership quarterback. But I thought they had some crazy good you know turnover and close game luck and were probably not what their like poll ranking suggested they were for a while. Cause they, they were what, like 10 and 10 and one at one point, maybe 11 and one 
at some point before they you know kind of got uh, you know they beat got beat by Oklahoma then Georgia and Sugar Bowl so uh so my my middle tier here these are like the not going to be in the basement but I don't think they're a legit conference contender Kansas State West Virginia Texas Tech Baylor and I was kind of TCU guy in the preseason like middle summer and now I'm out uh I, yeah I mean with with the Duggan news you're saying yeah exactly I think yeah. if you if you were in on TCU you were sort of incorporating the idea of a Max Duggan jump. And now with the heart condition, we don't know when he's going to be back. He's probably going to miss some time. I just can't buy in on TCU making a leap with with their QB missing time like that. I agree. I agree. And I, I was I was also on the TCU train. I think I I had them wavering between third and fourth in the in the conference. No, I think I guess I had them around fourth in the conference. Um which seemed to be higher than most had them. But again, that was baking in a Max Duggan jump. I still do think they're going to have a good, a really good running backfield. Um, apparently, we finally got a little Zach Evans, uh, the, the five-star oh. coming in. So apparently, he's, he's, got, he's flashed a couple times now. Now, again, I, don't, I think they're, they're talented enough where he's, he's not guaranteed anything. Uh, but uh, if you got Zach Evans, former five-star, first-year guy, kind of as just, a, as just a, a guy in their backfield, that that tells you a little something about where they are talent wise, and then defensively, this is this is a very Gary Patterson esque defense uh, with with the the personnel stylings that they've got coming back. So I, I think the defense is going to be really good. I think they're going to be tough to deal with. But man, we've seen what Gary Patterson <laughs> we've seen what TCU looks like with bad quarterback play. Unfortunately, pretty recently and relatively regularly. Um, so I think. You know, I, I I also don't have. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk myself into Matthew Downing as as some uh, kind no. of dark horse, uh, you know, sleeper prospect at the quarterback position. And you can't you can't run game defense your way for the most part in this league to to the conference championship game, uh, w- w- which is why I have them in in the you know kind of the middle class of the big 12 this year. And I think that sucks for them because this, this defense, I do think has a chance to be one of the best defenses in the big 12 and, and they have to have that offense take a, take another step. And now it, now it might not. Um, I don't really have additional comments on Texas tech and West Virginia. I, I think both, both the hires they made prior to last year were, were good hires and are going to help those teams be solid, but I don't know that they're ready to take a leap. Maybe I'm sleeping on Texas tech, but I, I, I think there's too many teams in this league which are, like, at the very least decent. Um, but to me, and, and disagree if if you do, that kind of leaves four contenders for the league, and I think all of them have a a legitimate shot if things break their way. That leaves Texas, Oklahoma, Iowa State, and your guys. And, and uh, who was the other one? Your Cowboys. Oh, Oklahoma State, of course. Of course, Barton's in his head. He's like, "Well, they're on a tier by themselves." So yeah, exactly. the The one thing I'll say on on West Virginia too is, and I so quick comment on West Virginia Texas Tech. I think the Texas Tech is is probably the sleeper, so to speak. Like, the, I don't hear anyone really being like, "Oh, Texas Tech is going to be a good." Like, Texas Tech is the team. I feel like everyone is just sort of penciling in as three and seven, and uh, just they're just going to be hanging around. I, I would. 
I think they're going to be decent. I think their receiving room is really good. I think Alan Bowman, when you consider he's going to be, if he's a starting quarterback all year and he stays healthy, I think that that's a, that's really promising. I think they've recruited pretty well on the offensive line. Um, and then defensively, I just think Keith Patterson is a pretty good defense coordinator. So I don't know what that means other than like I include Texas tech in the same category as these other middle-class big 12 teams that can beat anybody um, in, in the conference. Uh, and then the, the other, the only note I have on what on West Virginia is, is that this is a team I'm very anxious to see the new additions because when you think about some of the ways they've, they've um, worked the transfer portal, like I talked about what Baylor's done in the transfer market, West Virginia also been very fortunate there too. Like they've got Scotty Young, who's going to be their starter as a transfer from Arizona at safety. They've got Tony Fields, who's probably was about as good as any linebacker in the transfer markets. Uh, that's going to be probably a starter at linebacker. Vandarius Cowan, who we, who was the former big time talent at Alabama that transferred over South Florida guy. Oh yeah. Yep. Missed most of last year with an injury, but is, is sort of a freak from a, size athleticism standpoint, he's going to be playing, um, you know, offensively they've got like the, this kid, Zach Dobson, who I'm kind of interested in seeing what he does. He's from MTSU. He is another one of these gadget toy athletes that is, I just think Neil Brown could find a way to utilize him pretty effectively. So, um, again, I just think, I think West Virginia, and this is what makes this conference so tough. You know, I think you've got a, a coach that we probably both agree is, is a really good coach and Neil Brown. I think they exceeded my expectations last year, even getting to five and seven. I mean, I wouldn't expect they take a step back this year. So, I, so where the wins come from, I don't know. I mean, that's why I think there's so much of this. You know, I think Kansas State's capable. I think Texas Tech's capable. I think West Virginia's capable. I think, you know, so it's like, I, I don't know where the wins come from, but that's what makes this conference kind of fun is just sort of the – um, the week in, week out uncertainty of uh, of these teams because I think they're all they, they all are sort of trending positively to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Texas Tech and West Virginia should both be able to get to four, uh, and I think one of them will probably find a way to get to five. If you told me that those two combined for nine wins, I, I I definitely believe that. I think there maybe this is a hot take. I think there will be a two win gap between Kansas and everybody else. That's why I have Kansas in the basement. Okay. Uh, Martin's is, hating this Kansas hate, man. I'm, I'm in here. <laughs> Kevin Flaherty's going to be all over it. I know. I, I may be. I may be being ridiculous, thinking that they could win a couple. Um, what What is your? Where are you? Because, like, I actually, for when we did our Big Twelve preview um, on on Cover Three Pod, I, I got some. The Kansas State board was sort of up in arms about like. Where does all this Matt Campbell love come from? Like, what, what? Why does everyone love Matt Campbell? It's ridiculous. He hadn't done anything, and and I I actually understand that perspective. Like Matt Campbell comes into this as the darling. He, he inherits a two and ten team or whatever he inherited, and they you know improve a little bit the year one, and then year two they they win eight games, and it's like wow that's big. And then year year three they win, I guess eight games, and then I think year four they win seven. Um, so the question is, is year, is year four, was that seven win campaign last year, like an indication of Matt Campbell just has a ceiling 
and and maybe he is overhyped or are you of the opinion that Matt Campbell like are, is it is it stupid for us to be for you to be throwing Iowa State in the in the same tier as Texas and Oklahoma is that ridiculous it's not stupid if they take a step it is definitely stupid if they just play at the level they played last year like if they played at the level they played last year and Oklahoma takes a small step back they're still not good enough to win the league like you if you're taking Iowa State this year you are betting on them to to take another step and I think Matt Campbell is a really good coach man like they for the most part, they don't tend to lose a lot of games that that they should win. Like look at their look at their losses last year. You know, one score at Oklahoma State, one point at Oklahoma, um, you know, one, two points at Baylor in a game that I think we both agree they, you know, played at least 50-50 with, with Baylor and two points would indicate that. One point loss to Iowa, uh, ten point loss at Kansas State, which is probably why, to be honest, why the Kansas State fans don't think much of them. And then they didn't show up for their bowl game, which, you know, if you care about bowl games, that's a knock. I, I try not to evaluate teams based on bowl games at all, really. But, like, their performance in the Big 12 last year in the regular season was tremendous. I mean, almost all their losses were by, like, a field goal. And they had several wins that were, you know, pretty comfortable. With them, I just want to see, like, can they run the football at all? Because last year it was just all on Brock Purdy, man. Like, their their run game – it was terrible. Purdy was well, their number two back. rusher. I I do think Brees Hall like it. It won't be a running back problem, but they do they do lose the, basically their entire offensive line. So, which is scary. And that yeah. line was really good in pass protection last year. I will say this. So, on on like third and long stuff, they were number three in the country according to Connolly on sacks allowed. So like on the when you actually had to have time to pass, they were really good. Their run blocking was just terrible. They were 103rd and stuff rate allowed. They never hit big runs. They actually weren't very efficient on the down-to-down basis. I mean, I, it makes me have a greater appreciation for Purdy and what he did uh, simply because of how how poor they were at running the football. Like, he was their offense last year. I mean, that's they're, they're going to need to take a step forward. I, I, I do think this is the year that I decide. I'm, I decide how, like, whether I'm going to just – keep caping up for Matt Campbell or whether I just put it, put it in the costume trunk and just be done with it and just say, he's a good coach, but he's, he's just a good coach because look, it's uh, this is, this conference is not, is not loaded with juggernauts to the point where uh, if, if you are a good coach and you've gotten a program like Iowa state to a certain tier, like you should be able to take the next step. Um, And so uh, yeah, I think this is where this this is the season where I'll decide if I think he's like a great coach. Um, I, I'm very confident he's a good coach. Uh, but you know what uh, what company does he keep? Um, I'll tell you in uh, in December. So speaking of tell you later, we have so much more Big Twelve to talk about, and I have to jump. So I think we should finish the Big Twelve talk next week. Um, hate to do that, but. Guys, got to come back and listen for the for the rest of the contenders in the Big Twelve. Quick notes, like I got, we got probably two minutes on stuff that we watched over the weekend, um, or so far this season. Uh, Jalen Tolbert, former former two star that just looks really good at South Alabama. Uh, I looked I looked him up on our on our site just to be like, I wonder what 
where he came from. Uh, but that dude was the the South Alabama skill players perimeter threats were fun to watch. Just legitimately fun to watch. Those like every time that they would throw the ball vertical, I would be like, that's that feels like it's going to end up in a in a positive positive place. And most of the time it did. Um, so kudos to South Alabama for giving us an entertaining first FBS on FBS game. That was that was entertaining. I, I did play the, the live under in that game, pretty into the live set this year, especially with all the COVID, not playing a whole lot of games, you know, way out in advance due to obviously, you know, what we just talked about. Uh, but when they had that 74-yard touchdown to open the game, I was like, okay, the algorithms are, are going to see this and expect the score fest, and uh, we're going to go ahead and go under 62 here. Uh, on the live do have two buds bets to discuss real quickly uh we're trying to get these guys you know, these two guys out as quickly as possible uh, i played uab plus 15 and a half this morning they're playing at miami i don't think uab is nearly as bad as the score indicated against central arkansas two main factors there uca had touchdown drives of zero four and 15 yards due to uh turnovers and, and kind of flukish stuff and the uh, the yardage total at the end Really misleading. Pre-garbage time, UCA, 2.9 yards a play. Post-garbage time, almost nine yards a play. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think UAB is that bad. I also took uh, Georgia Tech, Florida State under 55. I, I think both defenses are well ahead of where the respective offenses there uh, are going to be in that game. And I don't think you're going to see either team push tempo uh, that much. So, If that game goes over 55... I would think that's a that's a good sign for what's to come for Florida State season, because yeah. if they're because if it's going over fifty five, I'm I'm assuming Florida State is pushing it over fifty five. You don't think the Yellow Jackets up. are going to score like forty? <laughs> I mean, I, I uh, yeah, I don't, I don't I don't see that. That's that's fair. All right, Barton, I will see you very soon. All right, man. Normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.